Hey. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I had, uh, like, you have one of those, like, I'm scared to park here houses, you know? <laughs> you know, that's so funny. <laughs> You're not the first person to say that. Yeah, I. Th- that's why I, I hid my car. That's why you couldn't find me. I was like, I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm just going to It's so crazy because, like... Anytime I have, ever since high school, like whenever mm. I would have friends over, nobody would pull into the driveway. And it's, there's so much driveway. Like, there's so many places for you to park. And I think that's what's intimidating. Like, maybe if it was just like a one little strip of driveway, people would be like, okay. Yeah. Object. I mean, it's, it's like, and it's the fact that it comes up to the door more than anything. <laughs> Cause it's like, I'm not delivering something and I don't want to, you know, it's so pretty. And then my car. And it just doesn't, you know, I don't know if that, I don't know if that works. I don't know if that fits. Um, but thank you for inviting me. It's very, I feel cozy. Isn't it cozy? Yeah. Is that a, is that a cultural thing? Are we, are we just cozy people? I think it's a cultural thing. Yeah. Like for us, we consider it like hoarding, but other people call it cozy. <laughs> but it, like, like Persian women just yeah. like love their stuff. But isn't stuff what makes a home a home? Yeah, That's no, the difference between sure. a hotel room and, and your house. Yeah, for sure. But then when there's like vases of like dollar store, like fake flowers everywhere, it's just like okay. at this point, like why right. does this need to be here? Right. Is, is, uh, <laughs> is your mother like very like decorator, kind of like how, you know, party planner? That's a nice way to say it. <laughs> what's, what's the not nice way to say it? She hates like getting rid of things. Like everything uh, okay. has to like okay. live somewhere. Right. So then it ends up getting reused in some. Yeah. Like I saw this tweet that was like, "Is it just me, or do all kids of immigrants like feel afraid to use and use a block bag?" And I'm like, "No, that's a thing." Like, Yo, so <laughs> like the there's no rule. It just makes sense. Like you keep like film in a ziploc bag because it's you know reusable and stuff. T- I'm terrified. Every time, every time I'll go in and there, and we'll have like four boxes. Like here's like Ziploc bags, sandwich bags, different sizes, different brands. No, I'm not touching it. I'm not. I hate like having to use a new one in front of my mom. Mm -hmm. And even now when she's not here, like I still have to hesitate before I use a new one. I'm just like, do I need to use a new one? Like. Can I just, cause then she has like a stack of like other ones that are like recycled right. where it's like, she'll like put something in it and then not obviously not like raw chicken or something, but like, like leftover, like onions that were like raw and chopped and we didn't use them. And then she'll wash the bag out and then she'll dry it and then she'll put it back. And so then like recently I ran out of the, those ones and yeah. I'm like, shit, I have to use a new Ziploc. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, I, I, I specifically like whenever I do, like if I'm going to drop film off to get developed or whatever. I'll specifically grab, like, just the most beat up, you know, yeah. like the one that's no one else is going to grab. Right. That's mine. You're like, this, that's is my good for... <laughs> yeah. this is good for film. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I think Hispanic families are 100%, 100% the same. And I think, I mean, it's really just like, I think it's based in, like, not having. Mm-hmm. Like, my mom and my sister, when they first um, emigrated to Canada, because they came to uh canada through pakistan um as refugees and when they were in canada i mean they were on welfare like my mom didn't speak a lick of english like they had nothing you know like they had to they and it's funny because i just saw this piece about the gentrification of thrifting and i'm like they used to call it was value village but we'd call it vivi (laughs) 
And like, that's the only place they would, yeah, it's designer. (laughs) That's the only place they would shop, you know, like, and now, even though my mom, like you see, like we have a good life, Mm -hmm. but she still is in that mentality of like, if we don't save, we're going to be back to that. It doesn't Even though away. that's not going to yeah. happen. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, if you use, like, a new Ziploc bag every time you put something in a bag, I promise you, you're not going to be poor. Like... <laughs> oh, my, my, my mother... But... And, and it's, it's funny because... It's funny because it, it definitely translated to my sister. Because yeah. my sister's older. Where There's, like, a nine-year difference between me and my sister. Also, I'm doing it again. The first time I did this right was like that was like the test pilot like can i do this and we got 15 minutes in before i said who i was and talking like, and to. who are you <laughs> yeah yeah okay who uh, let's do that real quick and then i'll i'll complain about growing up in my hispanic household but <laughs> introduce yourself i feel like i'm gonna you do so many things and you do so many of them well Thank i'm scared you. that i'm gonna leave I mean, something out i just lately i'm like i feel like i'm a multimedia storyteller mm. Because I, that's my thing. Like mm-hmm. my, my point of, of purpose and function is to tell stories, both my own stories and, and stories of, of people who I feel like don't get enough platform and, and um, attention on their stories, whether that's through my music or through my writing. So yeah, I would just say that I'm a multimedia storyteller. I like that. Yeah. See, like that was so much better. I was going to butcher <laughs> it. Uh, that would not have, yeah. Um, and uh, you're Nina. I'm Nina. Yeah. Yeah. What a great name. <laughs> Thank you. Where is there a story? Is There's there a, a story. Okay. There's a story. So my parents, when my mom was pregnant, my dad wanted to name me Nina and my mom wanted to name me Mina with an M. And so that was a debate. Is she going to be Mina or Nina? And Mina is more of a Persian name. Nina is not as common um, among Persians. And so my dad... I don't know what led to him winning that, you know, battle mm-hmm. of the names, but he won. And they wanted, he didn't want to spell it N-I-N-A because he thought people would pronounce it Nina. Wow. Which okay. is like, yeah. I don't think they no, would have. they wouldn't. They really, you know, cl- kudos, kudos. And he like tells the story yeah. so proud. He's like, I knew if I spelt it N-I-N-A, they would call you Nina. And I'm like, uh, in my head, I'm like, no, they wouldn't. But I'm like, wouldn't. yeah, dad. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're right. So good. 100%. So That's exactly what would happen. And so then I ended up with a double E. Okay. And people always think it's a nickname. And I'm like, nope. That's it. That's it. That's the no name. middle name. Yeah. Just I also don't have a middle name. It's an immigrant, like, like not American thing. But I feel like I know a lot of people of Latino descent who have middle names. Fair. But I think, I, I'm, and I can only speak for like Puerto Rican people in particular, but I know double last name is far more common. Yes, that's a thing, and I, I know in El Salvador too. When I when I was spending mm-hmm. time living there, people had the the double last yeah, name. Like yeah. it's like you take both parents, right. which I think is kind of cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's 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 a little patriarchal possessive if you do it. it you're right, because the de yeah, the, yeah. The, the, of mm-hmm. the of, male right. yeah he yeah owns yeah. You. That but is <laughs> still still cool. I think still a cool because you still get to have you're both. You're right. Both, yeah, you know. My my sister is she's she has both we have a different dad so she okay. has both last names. We have my sister and I have different dads okay. and she just only had her dad's last name and now that she is married I believe she had it formally hyphenated. My uh so my sister was married and had the longest name just no cuz she didn't want to get rid of both names. So she was like 
Elizabeth Noah Carion hyphen last name. And I'm like, this, it's too, stop. That's a lot. Stop, I mean, doing... it's pretty cool, though. Like, I feel like if you bust out with that long of a name, yeah. people are going to be like, right. you you are legit. Like, yeah, because you went through the trouble of doing it. quite <laughs> the name, you know? I mean, I speaking of names, like, my last name is, mm-hmm. is the same last name as the president of Iran, okay. Rouhani, and it's spelled the exact same. Uh-huh. And so that's No relation. Fun. No relation that I know of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh uh-huh uh-huh this is good 20 years from now it's gonna be a very interesting story i know i mean it's an interesting thing now just because whenever i go into any type of like border situation Mm -hmm. or like tsa situation i get my hands randomly swiped for explosives and i'm like is this really that's a thing oh yeah you've never gotten your hand swiped for explosives no thankfully Because I, because I, I don't have an accent, and that you know, I don't have an accent. Yeah, that's fair. But we're like Americans are a lot more skeptical of your yeah, last name I know. That's than what like Hernandez or whatever. You know, they're like he doesn't throw bombs. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which you guys don't like. St- t- on. I mean, it's not really Iranians who are right. like out here like blowing themselves up. Right. Like that's not really us. Can you? Can you? Uh, I don't know if Tennessee is a thing. Oh my gosh, don't even get me started. <laughs> I got thoughts. <laughs> I mean, I would I would imagine you would have thoughts. And it's like I didn't know it was a thing cuz they're not talking about it cuz not a brown person did it, you know. It's so insane. And like I was reading this article from the Tennessean Mm-hmm. Which like I shouldn't expect much concern. It's called the Tennessean, but it's owned by the by Gannett, so I was like maybe, you know. And when I was reading the article about him, I literally thought this. I'm like, is this a joke? Like, am I on the Onion? Like, is this real? And it was real. Like they were like computer guru. Like they were like they called him a computer guru, and they had the only picture they had of him was this picture of him from a 1974 yearbook when he had on glasses and braces, and I'm like. This cannot be it, actual. It, it also, like, it's frustrating. And I promise I remember the tangent we were on before we got here. I promise. Uh, it's one of my few skills. Uh, the, uh, it's, <laughs> one of your many skills. Oh, so kind. It's, <laughs> it's a block. That whole, it's a city block. Like, it's not it like. It's 41 buildings, right, yeah, at least, yeah. they said. It's, it's not just the RV. It's not one building and like, or well, two. Well, he warned people. He gave them a fifteen-minute countdown. If I came into a school and I was like, "I'm going to shoot <laughs> hey, everyone in just, fifteen minutes," yeah, over the PA system, over the PA system, yeah, would you think people would be like, "Oh, sympathetic"? If somebody named like Mahmoud Al Najjar did this and he gave a fifteen-minute announcement, you uh-huh. think people would be like, "Oh, well, at least." Well, that's <laughs> it's it's interesting to me that that distinction gets made because it's a thing that like brown people have also done in certain acts of domestic terrorism. Like, I, I think about... There's always, like, a bomb countdown. Right. Like, but, in the but even, even <laughs> I, I think about, like, the, the Puerto Rican people who were, like, the mentors of the Puerto Rican and Mexican people that are, like, my mentors. Mm-hmm. And they were, like, you know, Puerto Rican liberation people. Like, they blew up federal buildings in Chicago. They purposely made them empty. Like, they told everyone, hey, don't come here on this particular day. You know what I mean? Yeah. A police officer died, and suddenly they're the number one, you know, on the FBI watch list. But it's it's interesting that an oppressed people, right, trying to make, you know, as big a statement, arguably yeah. not in, in the best way, yeah. right? But 
it's interesting that like I mean not arguably not in the best way. It's I mean, not it's, in the it's best not, way. Yeah. It's not the best. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's not the best like, way. Like I get it, but yeah. like yeah. Right, right. <laughs> and it's interesting that that distinction gets drawn though. Not brown person warns people and it's like, "Well, he warned us." Yeah. And then like brown people like, warn us and it's quote. like, "That was a quote. Like that was a literal yeah. quote from the article where somebody was like, "Well, they gave us a fair warning." And I'm like, are you kidding me mm-hmm. right now? Like, and then some, I tweeted about it and some like woman who, once I went to her Insta- her Twitter page, it like <laughs> all made sense, but she responded and she was like, she was like, she basically was like, it wasn't, nobody died. That's what she said. And then she was, even though there's three people who were like in hospitalized yeah, yeah, from it. Yeah. And she was like, what about the cartels killing people every day? What about the tribal wars in Africa? I'm like, why is it? <laughs> That every single time a white person does something that's fucked up, what ends up happening is white people are like, well, what about Africa? Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. about cartels? Like, mm-hmm. it's literally like clockwork. It's, I think it's also, I love your, um, one of the things, I'm a fan of you as like a person, <laughs> as like a, as like a person. I love, Thank you. I love conversation. I love being like challenged as, yeah, on yeah, ideas. Yeah. I love people that are equally passionate about Thank ideas. You. And one of the, the things that I value about your perspective when it comes to police brutality or things like that is like, you come culturally from a place that is like what we, what police do here domestically gets done abroad times 10, you know? And, yeah. and I think also you come culturally from a people that are like, that's who we blame, you know? And, and you get it, you get, you get it times two. What do you, you mean that's what they blame? Uh, anytime there's any terrorist act, they're like, well, was it ISIS? Oh, was it, yeah, yeah. was it somewhere? Oh, that the, I come from the place right, where yeah, they blame. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you get it uh, twofold because you've lived in Detroit, yeah. you've lived in Chicago, also, the places that are the I mean, first. I grew to get... up in Detroit. Right. Like I, it's not even like because I hesitate when people say you live there because mm. like if somebody went to Wayne State, they lived in Detroit. You know, True. like that's I fair. spent the first thirteen years right. of my life. There. Yes, you are yeah. a Detroiter. That's like you were formed <laughs> in <Yes>. Detroit. <laughs> the, uh, but places like Detroit and you know just historically yeah. black communities yeah. are also the first. You know, uh, a police shoots an unarmed black man, and we're like, yeah. well, what about everybody in Chicago? Like yeah. they're the first ones to get. You know. Yeah, and the thing with that is that like I I always make it a point, especially among people in my in my cultural community, because a lot of people who came here from Iran came because of religious persecution or political persecution, and. Oftentimes, you'll see them draw, tr- attempting to draw comparisons between them and the, the American black community. And I always stop them because I'm like, this is not the same thing. Because they'll be like, oh, like, we came here from Iran with nothing and we were able to build ourselves up. Like, why, why are they still in poverty or why are they still this or why are they still that? And I'm like, you have to understand that the way that you're racialized and perceived in Iran and the way that you're racialized and perceived in the United States are two completely different things. The histories of what have happened to you are two completely different things. You were not robbed from your land and brought to a new place as a slave. And then eventually they were like, eh, okay, fine. You know, like right. we'll let you free, but yeah. they didn't actually let you free. Mm-hmm. Like that's not your history, you know? So like, yes, I understand oppressive governments. Yes, I understand you know, having, basically having all of your rights infringed upon, like, you know, people of my religious background can't go to university in Iran. We can't own businesses. They have, they've literally put a cap on how much money we can make. Like, we cannot have influence, you know, like, in, mm-hmm. in an economic way. 
So it's like, I fully understand that, but that is not the same, Mm -hmm. you know? And I would never in a million years, like, um, approve of somebody Mm -hmm. trying to draw parallels in, in a way to like downgrade the black experience in, in America. What, um, can you elaborate? Because I don't know, and I'm also sure a lot of other people don't know. What is the situation? What's the what's the historical context? Because I think, like, especially in a place like Detroit, where the Hispanic population is very large, it's it's a struggle that people are not just more sympathetic to, but are <laughs> you know they're more familiar with it. Mm-hmm. Like, there is a kid in your high school. Right that's an immigrant and you're, you're you kind of understand what's going on there i feel like very few people understand this yeah. context the similarities <laughs> the differences you yeah. mentioned your religious background yes what? i'm a baha'i okay yes um so historically in iran the baha'i faith originated in in persia and because when the faith came about a lot of people gravitated towards it and people began converting from from various religions, specifically, I mean, they are from Islam to the Baha'i faith. Um, and it's a it's a peaceful faith, you know, like we don't condone any type of violence or or aggression. And so it wasn't as if, you know, we were doing anything aggressive to get people to come to the faith. People just gravitated towards mm-hmm. it because of its message, um, which was not to the liking of of the groups that were in power, because Islam was a, was a means of of exerting and maintaining power in the Middle East in in Persia at the time. And so, ever since that time, which was about I can't tell you exactly, I think it was around 180 years ago, mm-hmm. between 170 to 180 years ago. From that moment on, I mean, even back then, like they were regularly massacring and like hanging and murdering people because they were Baha'is. Like my mom told me horror stories of like people like burning, like putting up an infant in a pot of boiling water, like because their parents are Baha'i. And like their whole point was to get us to denounce our faith and to weaken us, you know? And so even up until now, like, you know, fast forward a hundred and however many years, you have, I have family members. Like I have, you know, cousins of my parents who are regularly detained and arrested and taken Mm. away from their families simply for being members of their faith. Um, Baha'is are not allowed to go to university. Like you cannot, you know, attain a higher education if you are a Baha'i. We can't own businesses. You know, like there's they put all these conditions around our existence. We're not even a recognized religious minority. Yeah, like, is this still? This is like <clears throat> this is current. Twenty twenty now going to twenty twenty. Yeah, that that I I know like I know whenever there's any kind of minority or religious persecution, like the immediate parallel is like Nazis and yeah. like Jews, but that literally like not Sounds being like able to it. own businesses, not being, you know what I yeah. mean? Like that. Yeah. That's kind of, insane. yes, it's crazy. And like with my family, like my own family, my grandparents home was burned down during the revolution because Iran had a, a monarchy in place that that's a whole nother can of worms. But to make a long story short, um, this, Ayatollah Khomeini came in, in, in to the scene. He was a revolutionary. He was exiled from Iran and came back. And he basically staged a, re- a revolution mm-hmm. under certain pretenses and, and kind of um, giving a certain message of like what he would bring, but he didn't bring what he said mm-hmm. he would bring. And a lot of what drove his, his supporters was this anti-Baha'i sentiment. 
among a lot of his supporters. Is is it <clears throat> is it just like what's what's the logic? Is it because it, it was anti-America? It was, you know, Iranians like rejecting mm-hmm. Western imperialism and Western society. But, but specifically for discrimination towards Baha'is. Baha'i. Yeah, cause because you're not a recognized... We're not a recognized religion, but we came after Islam. Okay. Muslim, anything that came after Islam, a lot of, you know, Muslim clerics do mm-hmm. not recognize, recognize you. Okay. So it's, it's strictly <laughs> or primarily just religious difference. Yes, like, that's it's like, literally no, we it. Don't, oh, yeah. wow. and, and fear. Fear of mm-hmm. our, fear of the faith expanding. And taking away power from them. Mm-hmm. Is um, it is it is it popular elsewhere? Or is yes, it, it, th- yeah. there's Baha'is in over like 110 countries okay. in the world. Um, yeah, it's 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 very widespread. It's a very widespread faith. Um, and you know, the principles at the core of the Baha'i faith are like the equality of men and women, okay. elimination of extremes of poverty and wealth. That's cool. The harmony of religion and science. Uh-huh. Like these Do you guys are, have a book. We have like a, we have a lot of books. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The, the founder of the Baha'i faith, Baha'u'llah, he, he wrote a lot of books okay. and so did, um, the Bob who came before him and sort of announced his coming, uh-huh. uh, as well as other religious figures throughout the faith have written. We don't have, um, clergy or like okay. priests or anything okay. because we believe in this idea of independent investigation, which That's says cool. that like each person has the capacity yeah. to get to know the faith on their own. They it don't seems need like someone a very, else. very modern religion. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, How, uh, is there church? So kind of, okay. I mean, so we don't have, like, it's not like a Sunday service kind mm-hmm. of thing. Currently, a lot of the Baha'i activities are based within communities. And so the whole idea is, like, to build a community through spiritual oneness, whether or not people are uh, members of your religious community. And so there's study circles, devotional spaces, children's classes that are all interfaith. So people of all different religious backgrounds come. That's cool. Um, and it's based, it's inspired by, based in the Baha'i writings, uh-huh. but... Um, the the purpose is not to convert anyone. The purpose is just to, like I said, create like a unity within you know your your neighborhoods. Uh-huh. I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> like I had it in my pocket ready because I was gonna hit it with you at the end. Like God, and I'm glad <laughs> that we just kind of like because ju- I here. I grew up super like we were Pentecostal, but like you know Spanish Pentecostal, which is like some OG like <laughs> conservative like. Yeah you know, women shouldn't cut their hair. Like my sisters, my, the first time I saw my mother wear pants was this year. Wow. Yeah. That kind of like, you know, yeah. This is also the shortest my mother's hair I've ever seen. Like my, I mean, crazy, like, you know, church three times a week type thing. Oh yeah. Like for up until really until I went to college, because then I had an excuse not to go, you know. <laughs> Got uh, study. Yeah, I was like, well, you know, I, I don't live know. here. So. Um, but I'm always super curious and interested because I have like I have like church dar. I have like religion. I can feel it. I'm like faith somewhere. You know what I mean? Like you just there. Church it, it, dar. It, yeah, it like influences. <laughs> it, it influences people in a way that I think few things do, for better or for worse. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if someone had a negative experience in a church or with a religion, they'll tell you. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to oh, let you yeah. know. And if they didn't, or they're currently still practicing, like, it's, it's involved. Yes. It's, it's playing, are you, where do you stand? Are you, 
practicing? Is this your I, faith? Yes. You know? I mean, I would call myself a religious person. And I think the term religious has acquired such a negative connotation. Mm-hmm. Like, if you identify as religious, at, at the core of it, that means that you are an adherent of your religion. You follow your faith. You're, you know, you your religion guides you, right? But it's come to mean, like, extremist, conservative, judgmental, like, all these really negative characteristics. And that's why, like, when people ask me, are you religious? I say yes, mm-hmm. because I, I want to help to strip away that association because I'm none of those things. Right. I'm not an extremist. I'm not conservative yeah. and I'm not judgmental, yeah. you know, which is, but I'm religious, <laughs> which is confusing for a lot of people yeah. because again, like you said, those are the things that religion has become synonymous. And I get with. it. Right. Yeah. Like I know a lot of people have a really traumatic relationships with the church and with faith and with God, unfortunately. And so I, I understand people's hesitation when it comes to faith and religion, but I hope that like, you know, for the people around me who I talk to that like, you know, hearing from me and in my experiences will kind of help them see that like that doesn't have to be what it is, you know? Uh, are there, are there extremists behind? Is that? I mean, there's not much to be an extremist in. Right. Like. There's nothing, there's not really anything there that you can like really run with to mm. be an extremist. There's mm-hmm. literally nothing that like validates violence or yeah. judging. Like literally the big, the worst thing you can do as a Baha'i actually, like the biggest sin, I guess you could say. We don't use the word sin, okay. but the biggest See, thing that you should do. <laughs> you're saying some words that are appealing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Um, is, is backbiting. Like talking negatively oh, behind really? people's back. That's really? literally they say it's worse than this is murder. the coolest religion I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> this is the coolest religion. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And and so that being at the core of this faith is like you can't be an extremist. You can't be out here mm-hmm. like trying to get on other people for right. what they're doing because that's literally the worst thing you can mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. in this religion. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the, the gotcha of it. Right. So yeah, this is. I'm so intrigued now <laughs> because like all of the traditional pitfalls of religion or, you know, organized religion, you seem to be avoiding so far in your, not that this is a sales pitch, but if it were, <laughs> it's fairly, I honestly had no idea this would even come up. fairly so I'm like, convincing. Ah. Oh, I was ready. I was ready. Believe me. <laughs> you didn't well, tell me. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think when I would have heard it. Or heard you mention? I think I've 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 heard you mention being behind before. And I've I like, posted about it. Maybe yeah? that maybe okay. what okay. you've seen. But yeah, I mean, and, and it's like just because in my relationship with my faith, like it's kind of something that growing up I took for granted. Um, because you're not there's we don't have like baptisms or anything like that. So it's like you kind of have to when fifteen is the age of maturity. So like that's the age of that after fifteen you can become a Baha'i. Okay, but like before 15 as a child you can't because you don't have the the mind to to make that choice yet you know and so because i grew up in a well my mom is baha'i my sister's baha'i my dad is actually atheist and so i grew up with very polarized perspectives at home Uh and i think it's a beautiful thing that my parents had such a great relationship and and raised me the way they did considering they had such different beliefs right yeah that's pretty well in fairness if there was a religion for an atheist to, to be chill with, with, right? Yeah, yeah. it seems like that's kind of the one. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And my dad like was always open to me participating in Baha'i activities and like 
you know, learning the faith because he even said, he's like, it doesn't teach anything bad. It's like, why, you know, why would I have right. a problem with it? Um, and with his own views, I, I was a curious kid, right? Like I, I asked a lot of questions growing up and I questioned the things around me and, and the things that I was told, um, which annoyed my mom at times and my dad too, but you know, it made me who I am today. They're grateful mm-hmm. for it now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I would ask him like, what do you think happens when people die? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I would ask him these mm-hmm. questions and he would answer them and, but he never tried to push his perspective onto me. He let me explore when I, when I felt the need mm-hmm. to explore. I, I was like both of, so by the time I was born and able to go to church and stuff, uh, my dad had left. They both grew up in, well, my dad grew up in church, left kind of early, came back later. And then my mom grew up out of church and, you know, eventually kind of converted. Um, and they both were just, they're, they're very smart. Like, they're very well-read, very, like, you know, they study, they write, like my mom taught and preached. And uh, I kind of grew up in that same path, I guess. Like, when you're a kid especially in a religion like Christianity, right? That that values I would argue a little too much like the, the voices of children, like in terms of like preaching, right? Like what you were just saying, like that that 15 you can become a Baha'i, right? If you're an 8-year-old in a Christian church and you can say like a couple verses, you're like the voice of God. You know what I mean? You are like <laughs> divine, you know, like that it's it, You're put on a pedestal. You are. And mm-hmm. I was like good at speaking and you're in church and this is what you believe. So you speak and it, Mm -hmm. it, you know, um, but I was similarly very like inquisitive, very questioning. And because I had my mom in church and my dad out of church, you get those two kind of, you're never sold one thing too much without it being questioned a a healthy degree, you know? So would I'd go to church and I'd ask my mom a question and she'd give her answer and I'd ask my dad a question and he'd give a different answer. <laughs> and then you can kind of figure it out. Right. Yeah. And you're and thankfully my parents like encouraged mm-hmm. that. Like, well, this is good. He's he's curious. Yeah. He's asking questions. It sounds like that's what your parents did. How yes. how strongly do you feel like that upbringing and kind of foundational faith is in who you are now, what you do now, how you approach things now? How strongly do I feel that those teachings kind of carry over of my parents? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, I think I'm so influenced by the things that my parents taught me. Um, my dad, I am my father's child. I'm I'm his daughter through and through. Like when he was 11, 12 years old in Iran, uh, pre-revolution Iran, he would smuggle banned books from like the black market about like Marxist theory and like all <laughs> these things that like they didn't want because of the, the monarchy. Like right. they, it was so, it was, I mean like the Shah of Iran at a point was like an American puppet really. And so obviously they didn't want people reading about those things. And my dad would like literally find these books and like hide them and like take them home and read them at 11. So, <laughs> you know, he, he was always just like so enamored by history mm-hmm. and like, global civilizations and so growing up with a person like that like he fed that that desire that I had to learn those things and so 
one thing that's really at the core of who I am right now as an adult is that history is the greatest means I think of understanding society um, and understanding where society is going. And I, I really value history a lot. Um, in my writing, it comes through and in my conversations, it comes through. And, and that's really something that was instilled in me by my father um, when it comes to, to history in terms of like world history. Mm-hmm. With my mom, it was really like she taught me the value of my personal history and my familial history um, because she, you know, when you're a person who had to sell everything that you own pick up your one and a half year old daughter and get smuggled out of a country in the middle of a revolution, you hang on to aspects of your past Mm. in order to, to survive, you know, that nostalgia that my mom has, you know, the, the story she tells me about Iran and about the trips they would go on and the houses they lived in and the, um, you know, there's, it's very common to have like fountains in your backyard in Iran and fruit trees and, fragrant flowers and all these things that like all these good memories she has of like going to the north of Iran and that really for her is like it what gives her hope it's what gives her hope and what connects her to to her past and and what really informs her identity and so that was something that was instilled in me as well and I think even just in Persian culture in general especially not only just Persian culture well Persian culture in terms of like storytelling and poetry like most Persians who are like from Iran can recite Rumi and Hafez and Sadi poems from memory. Like my grandfather knew hundreds. And up until the point that he passed when he was 92 years old, he still remembered these poems. You guys have like a phenomenally rich like art history, architectural history, culture. I mean, all of we the We literally things. like invented math. So. Yeah. I mean, you guys are kind of. <laughs> We're pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> You're winning in that department in a lot of ways. I, yeah. I, um, I, I think you remember when I told you I remembered what tangent we were on to the to the immigrant mother hoarding thing. Like my <laughs> my mom, um, she she came to America when she was twenty something, moved to New York, didn't speak a lick of English, like didn't leave the house for the first week because she's like, how do I? I can't call. I can't. You know what I mean? Like I can't. What do I do? Yeah. What What yeah. do I do? And I think. Um. I think there's something to, like, wanting to hold on to like permanence. Like, yeah. so you know what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, I have a house now. Fill it with all of the things. Because yeah, I've been moving. You know what I yeah. mean? Like that this experience is stability. of stability. It's a part of right. stability. And and as much as I like, my sister and I make fun of my mom about it all the time. And mm-hmm. like, when my my sister comes here, like, <laughs> she'll sometimes like when my mom's not looking like grab stuff <laughs> from like shelves and surfaces and like yeah. hide them in a cabinet because right. there's just so much stuff but we get it you know like I understand why my mother is you know loves to keep her things yeah. you know and, and honestly like I I'm ragging on her but like she's really not that bad mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not that bad mm-hmm. um but you know I actually like the other day, like, we were, because they're moving out of this house, um, the other day we were going through things, like, old things, and, like, she had, like, she literally had, like, my hair for my first haircut, like, that's, my actual strands of hair. Like, she I don't know if that's had, insane or, like, really cool. <laughs> I don't... I don't either. Yeah. But, like, it's just sweet, You're you know? You're halfway to a doll. You could make some really... I could. Yeah. Yeah, like, 
and that's like the least weird of it, but like that's I, the one I'll tell you about. I, no, I'll, I'll rate. I'll rate. I'm not gonna raise you. I, they're pretty even. But my dad is like an artist, like true and true. Paint, sculpt, whatever it is, he'll figure it out. He'll learn how to do it. And I gotta see if it's. I really. I'm sure it still exists. It's. It's the kind of thing that would still exist. Some of my first teeth oh. that fell out, he sculpted like an ogre <laughs> oh and like put the teeth. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh my gosh, so you have an ogre with your teeth. Yes, That's I do. awesome. Yeah. I don't have an art piece dedicated okay. to my teeth, but I have my teeth yeah. as well. Yeah. How many? How many are we talking about? I don't know, but it's a pretty decent amount. Yeah. And I was like, this is actually <laughs> it's gross. Like a little box. Yeah, it's like a TikTok box. It's literally box of like, teeth. yeah, I'm like, this is nasty, but <laughs> but that's Dude, sweet of you. How, but she didn't have yeah, things. Like, right. she didn't, ha- like, my, I told you, my grandparents' house was burnt down. Mm-hmm. Everything was gone. Yeah. Like, my mom doesn't have pictures of herself up, in, like, from a certain age and younger because they all burnt in a fire. Like, she literally has, like, photos that are charred. And she's, like, preserved them. It's insane. It's insane how similar both of our parents are. Because my, my mother uh, was the oldest. And so, you know, you, kind of, you have to take care of the, the younger ones. And, like, you know, her mother disappeared one day. No clue what happened there. And, like, there's no pictures. Oh, my God. Hasn't been back in forever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, uh, and, I, and I'll try to... You know, me and my sister will go back and forth because obviously, like, my sister and my mother have a different relationship than the boy, the little right, baby boy, right. you know? But You know how that goes. Right. Especially in, <laughs> yeah, in Hispanic households, especially. Um, but I'll, I'll try to, like, I'm like, dude, like, she didn't have this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, she's going to buy stuff at Walmart that she thinks is cute in the house. You know what I mean? Like, come yeah. on, give, her, give the woman a break. Like, yeah. I, I'm curious, where do you fall on the spectrum? Because it feels, it seems like, You've got the, like, family hosting, like, make memories and a very kind of logical, you know, inquisitive. (laughs) Where where do you lean or is it a mix of both? I'm definitely a mix of both. Like, my mom's side of the family is a party. Like, they are a actual party. They're so much fun. Oh, my God. And, like, they're so warm and, like, it's just just so outgoing. And, like, I, I am that. Like, I have that. My dad's side of the family, like, they'll sit and talk about, like, politics for, like, three hours. Whereas my mom's side of the family would be, like, boring. Yeah. <laughs> so I have both, you know? And I, and I see the value in both. And what I love about my parents is that they've influenced one another. Like, when my dad married my mom, he didn't, like, dance at parties. And he wasn't outgoing. But now, like, he's on the dance floor getting in. I'm like, yes, That's you go, dad. Awesome. It's That's great. It's awesome. awesome. And, like, my mom, like she's way more vocal and, and she's more confident in having those types of conversations, those political conversations. And like, even within like the U S political sphere, like my dad puts my mom hip to a lot of things that I, if she was married to somebody different, she wouldn't know, you mm-hmm. know? And, and my dad is very politically knowledgeable. Um, and, and he influences my mom in those ways. So I, I feel like I'm a pretty well-rounded person. I think the part of me that people see more, apparently that's like that comes out more quickly it's the part of me that's like intellectual and like you know whatever the part of me that's like a party like <laughs> uh-huh. that you have to get through a few layers okay. to get okay. to that that part of me right because yeah. it's a more it's more vulnerable it's mm-hmm. more personal you know well you you can be uh that that is like the struggle of just intellectualism in general or just just those types of conversation is 
uh, you can we can we can talk for two hours and not know anything about each other. Yeah, you know, yeah. Be- because they're not they're inherently not vulnerable or personal to a certain degree. To a certain degree, mm-hmm. yeah. Because I, I do think that in these conversations, like, you get to know a person. Right. By, like, how much do they listen to you? Like, how do they respond to the things that you say? Like, do they get defensive? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I think those things are telling. Yeah. But, like, would I want to, like, go out with this person? Yeah. And, like, would I want to yeah. go on a vacation with yeah. this person? Like, those things, like, you have no idea. Right. You know? Yeah. There's a difference between a good conversation and a good time. Yes. For <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> there, there can be some overlap in the Venn yeah, diagram, but they're definitely there is, separate. No, they're definitely separate. There is some overlap. No, I hundred thousand percent agree with you. I definitely agree with you. It's just, yeah, I, I, I people have told me like, oh, you, you seem serious, and I'm like, really? Because I'm not that serious, but like, I can be. Yeah, I, I think, I think also, uh, again, I said at the beginning as a person who values conversation, I, I can usually. And I think if you pay close enough attention, you can see the difference between, like, I just like arguing and I just like being <laughs> right, or I just think very highly of myself, and I'm going to use these big words. I as don't, a, whenever you hear somebody be like, you know, I don't like me to play devil's advocate, uh-huh, I'm uh-huh, like, uh-huh, I'm that guy. Done. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, think, I think there's a difference, again, if you know what you're looking for, between that person and the person that's kind of playfully doing it yes. you know what i mean like yeah. these are these ideas these things are serious but this conversation isn't an argument you know and i think uh like i grew up doing debate and i i was on that track believe me no, I, was, I hear you i was on the track of like yeah devil's advocate i'm gonna oh i'm gonna say some oh terrible stuff oh you know god. what i mean and oh then uh <laughs> I, I don't remember it was it was probably towards the end of high school that was gross <laughs> yuck yuck <laughs> It's yeah. gonna be hard to noise get out. And alarm. <laughs> Who's, who said that was okay? Look, I'm on D and D. Well, alarm. I still thought go I was through. too. Yeah. What the? F- yeah, right. alarm still go through. Whatever. Whatever. High fake. school debate. Yeah. Team. High school debate. I was in debate, and I was pretty good. I was never. I wasn't good because I was the smart one. I was good because like I could talk well, and then people just like like you, you know, and they just agree with you, and <laughs> um it. It wasn't until a while after, uh, like, later into high school, I was like, oh, all of you aren't real people. <laughs> you know, like, you, you try yeah. talking to those people that kind of make that their identity yeah, yeah. at, like, lunch, and it's like, this, wasn't, this isn't fun no, anymore. It's not. And, and it's also not, like, people who exclusively yeah. deal with, like, ideas don't understand, like, uh, there's, this, there's this kid that I still keep in contact with from, like, that debate time in my life and uh i mean recently he was making some argument about how we can't say that life is more valuable than property and Mm -hmm. he was going on this very long semantic argument about how what if someone's a business owner and they've made this property their life and you know what i mean and it's like yes logically you you're making a valid argument someone died dude like you know what i mean and and i there was a period and a point where i was like i don't i don't want to do that like it's yeah it's less effective it is and it's just like it's just shitty like it's just like (laughs) it shows you what people value it shows you the lack of compassion that some Mm -hmm. people have i think like when it comes to argument styles i don't even i don't even I try not to get into arguments anymore, but that's been a long time coming. Like, <laughs> there was this 
Young Dolph song okay. from college. Yeah. It, the song Preach, and then it says she liked to argue, so I sent that bitch to law school. Uh, that's... <laughs> and my friends were always like, "That's you." <laughs> Because I used to love to argue. No, yeah. I don't. I wouldn't say I love to argue, but I was very college like. College was a great time for it. College was a great time for it. I was very like I would take on battles, but like I would take it on with my heart and soul, yeah, yeah. and it was depleting. Like, I remember this one time. This was when I had first graduated from college, and I was living in Southern California, and we had a friend of ours brought a friend of his over to our apartment to me and my my friend's apartment, and. I didn't know him like I'd never met him before and so we were sitting and we were like listening there was like music playing on the speaker and I I believe it was like I don't know it was a Kendrick Lamar song I think it might have been a Kendrick Lamar song and he just started talking about like how it's this like Persian guy who like grew up in in South Orange County very wealthy area Mm -hmm. for those Mm -hmm. who may not know yeah um very white wealthy area Uh and he was like he said how like rap music is like the thing the, the thing that's been the most detrimental to the black community like ever. That's an argument. People not, insist not on Not slavery, making. like yeah. not the war on drugs, not mass incarceration, but rap music, okay? <laughs> Kendrick Lamar specifically. Kendrick Lamar specifically. Yeah. Pulitzer Prize <laughs> winning artist. Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick and Lamar. I literally lost my mind. Like I lost my mind. And he was trying to say how like classical music is like the most like elite. Uh, yeah. And I was like, are you kidding me so i i lost it i lost it and like i didn't insult him because like my i didn't like directly insult him i probably Uh like threw some like jabs my mom always taught me like don't disrespect a house guest and so i left i literally (laughs) left my own home i literally walked out of my apartment and left because i was going to like completely wear vomit all over him yeah and from that moment on, like I was, I was shaking. I was so angry, and I was like, I cannot invest myself into people, like like that, the yeah. way that I just did. Yeah. Especially people who like, I don't even know him, mm-hmm. you know. And like from the what he was like, what he was saying and doing, he was intentionally trying to get me worked up. And there's mm-hmm. also like a gender dynamic at play. Like I'm the emotional woman. Like why are you so emotional? Why are you so sensitive? It's like it's easy for you to say when you have not even an ounce of empathy or sympathy or compassion or connection to anyone black. Yeah. But like you and I are not the same, you know. Unfortunately for you. And so after that moment, I was just like, I have to really be more selective with how. I dedicate my energy because like there's a way to be actively anti-racist without giving so much to a person who doesn't deserve everything you're giving them. It's also the the other part that like makes that difficult is you pour your heart out and they never took it as seriously as you did. (laughs) You know, you pour your heart out and you're literally pouring it onto cement. Yeah. Nothing is absorbing like logic facts. You know, a, I'm giving a, you every. I'm yeah, giving you oh, a, a sampler of everything. Thing, the whole thing. Literally. I'm like, there's no reason you should still feel the same after this conversation. Yeah. And yet they were never as. I'm giving as you, you statistics. Yeah. Like oh, you want logic. I'm yeah. giving you MLA, logic. APA. All what of that. You want. Literally. Like, yeah. And then they're just like, uh, no, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's very. It's demoralizing. It's to say insane. The least. Oh my god. Yeah. So I've just like after that I was like I can't do this anymore. I I feel you. Obviously, I only know you at this stage in your life, but you seem well-versed in, like, preserving energy and attention. Yeah, I've I've definitely come a long way to get to this point. But I 
my relationship with the idea of energy has become far less like meta than it okay. used to be because it's it's a buzzword. Like people yeah. love yeah. to throw around this concept of energy. Uh-huh. They're like, the don't, vibes. don't the give vibes. energy to like the negativity. And the next <laughs> thing you know, they're like, oh my God, did you see what Iggy is saying? And I'm like, and like losing their minds over yeah. these things. And I'm like, listen, everybody's on their own journey. Like if sometimes we say, let's not dedicate energy to negative things, but then sometimes we get caught up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But like, I feel like it's really something that needs to be integrated into your everyday. Like that concept of like energy dedication. Like I literally wrote on a whiteboard in my room, consume only what elevates your soul. And I am trying to stick by that, you know, like I'm trying to control what I'm reading, what I'm watching, like what I'm looking at because what I'm listening to, like, because you have 24 hours in a day of those 24 hours, how much of that time are you dedicating to things that make you feel better, but not make you feel better, like make your ego feel better, but make you feel better, like make your spirit feel better. And I feel like I've seen the results of doing that. Like I've seen what comes out of like me taking better care of myself and being much more intentional with what I'm dedicating space to. Mm-hmm. Well, there's, there's, it's a very godly practice like i i think the the thing that later in life kind of started pushing me out of church was the um bible stuff but uh (laughs) you know the thing that's interesting about jesus as a metaphor is he's a man you know and men don't like dying (laughs) and the thing like as i got older and smarter and i'm reading more and i'm like they never talk about this part of this story which is you know the night before jesus gets crucified he Mm. father if you can pass this cup you know he's like look if we can do this any other way where i don't die a horrific death that would be dope please and then it doesn't happen and i'm like that is the most compelling story (laughs) in this entire book because i same same yeah you know and and the the more I looked into stuff and, you know, towards the end of his life, Jesus is like, greater things than I, you will do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The kingdom of God is within man. Like, there's all this kind of, like, reflexive, like, no, like, you know, God is within you. Like, you are, yes. you know, and, and t- you know, your body is a temple. And, yes, like, this yes. this real, like, self-care, yes. not in a buzzword kind of right. way, like, oriented language yes. of, like, no, you yes. are value. You are your material being, your energy, your spirit, whatever you want to yes. call it. You know, there's value in yes. upkeeping that. There is. And, like, we don't, there's, we don't take any of this with us. Like, nothing from this world will we take with us except for what we've made of our souls. That's it. Like, and that's the belief that I've always known, but it's something, it's, it's, it's a, a fact that I've known, but it's recently become a belief that I hold mm. like really closely because like a lot of times I feel like we base our value one on our productivity levels and what's accepted societally as productive and two on what other people think of us. And a lot of times that's based on our productivity levels, right? And that becomes the way that we value ourselves. So then what happens when you're not doing anything? What happens if you're unemployed? What happens like if, you know, you're not happy with the way that you look? What happens if like you, you mess up and people change their mind about how they feel about you? Like, then are you worthless? Mm-hmm. Like, is that what that means? Yeah. And, and, and I grappled with that, you mm-hmm. know, because like 
coming out of graduate school in the middle of a pandemic, like not having a job, you know, like feeling disconnected from music. Mm -hmm. Like those things really made me question my own value, like my own worthiness. And I had to tell myself, like, that's a really capitalistic way of Mm -hmm. placing value. Like that they've, that you literally have been brainwashed to believe that you are only worth the grind and the hours of work you put in and the hustle and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah, blah. I'm not going to take any of this with me. I'm not taking articles with me. I'm not taking songs and accolades with me. Like I'm not taking that. What kind of person am I? How do I feel inside? Am I happy? Like, am I actually happy at the core of me? If I got my dream job, would I be happy? Because like, we have a hard time accepting the present moment that we're in because we're so busy resisting it. Well, what about in the past when this happened? Well, what if I didn't do that? What if I did this differently? Or what about the future? Well, in six months, if I get this job, in six months, if I make this much money, in six months, if I get this, this deal with this record label, then I'll be happy, right? You, you live in a state of constant resistance. So then when you get to that point in six months, say you do get the job or the deal or the money or whatever, you get into the university, you're still living in a state of resistance. You didn't fix that. You got the thing you wanted, but you still are resisting. So then when you get to that point, you're going to be thinking of six, four months from now or six months ago to that other moment. Like, that how, what, that's not a way of, like, what type of life is that? It's, it's, one, it's always been one of my, like, especially in art, right? It, that kind of, like, grind mentality is really, mm-hmm. like, if you slept more than three hours, you're not doing enough. It's, you know, it's like the rise and grind people. Yeah, but but <laughs> I, I I think people fail to understand how much of that is seeped in capitalism and yes. seeped oh into this God. like culture of like no, you are the product, and if we can't squeeze you for every ounce of productivity yes. and and creation and labor that we yeah. possibly can, you don't have value. Mm-hmm. You can't work. You don't deserve healthcare. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like yep. it's like, and it's 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 systemic it's it's yes and and it's internalized in yes. a really terrifying oh way oh my god it's so scary and and i think i think the pandemic along with a lot of other things like makes that very apparent mm-hmm. you know it's like oh not only have i internalized the fact that if i'm not productive like i'm worthless everything else agrees yeah you know like no yes. you don't you're in college no stimulus you no, you're yeah. fine you know what i mean like yeah. it's and it's phenomenally depressing <laughs> and it's also i feel like the only way to make it out of it is to like not let that be the case anymore moving yeah. forward you it, have you to know? do that for yourself like no one is going to do that for you you have to make that decision to say like i am accepting the moment that i'm in you accepting it, one, does not mean that you're going to be complacent. Mm-hmm. Two, is not you assigning a characteristic to it. Mm-hmm. You're not saying, I'm accepting this. Like, I'm in a toxic relationship, so I'm accepting this. That means, like, it's not bad. Right. No, it can be bad. It can be good. But accepting it means that, that you're just, you stop resisting mm-hmm. that this is what's happening mm-hmm. right now. Okay, I don't like it. Then what do I do about it, right? right? But, like, because, and the reason I, I bring up a toxic relationship is because, like, this doesn't just apply to, like, work. Mm-hmm. It applies to, like, relationships Mm -hmm. you know like familial relationships friendships Mm -hmm. like it applies to everything like you you have to accept what the moment is for what it is Mm -hmm. feel it Mm -hmm. let yourself go through it you know yeah that's the only they say like the only way out is 
through, yeah, you know, yeah. like, and, that, and that's, it's such a cliche, but it's mm-hmm. so true. I, I was having, I was having a conversation literally today with a person very close to me and they were bringing up like, uh, you know, being used to someone and mm. the, this idea of like, well, we lost something mm. at the beginning and I'm like, th- like time relation, it's, it goes forward. Yeah. It never, like it Mm-mm. doesn't stop. It doesn't slow mm-hmm. down. It doesn't go back. It goes forward. It's the same relationship, you know what I mean? Like, and and over time, whether it's a friend or, or a loved one or, you know, a ro- romantic relationship, like, you've grown in yes. intimacy, in knowledge, yes. in, like, like five years from now, I you know, I'll know my friend better than I did, you know, five years before. Yeah. And that that's, we've progressed. And we've, it's all about perception. Right. Like, if I'm in a relationship with a person in, in the relation, I perceive it to be one thing in the moment I'm in it. That's due to a lot of factors and in, in, in circumstances surrounding my perspective mm-hmm, at that moment. Mm-hmm. Six months after the breakup right. or yeah. whatever, you, that relationship was a whole nother relationship than what you thought it was when you were in it. But again, that's a result of time mm-hmm. passing. That's mm-hmm. a result of, of you removing yourself from mm-hmm. having someone in your ear constantly or you know what I'm saying? Like well, the, you're the, able to step away from it and, and look at it for what it was. And I, I think with that, there's a degree of like, you see a degree of truth that you didn't see in right, it, but course. also, you know, they say hindsight is 2020 in certain degrees. I, I agree with that, right. but in other ways, I don't fully agree mm-hmm. with it because then you might romanticize it or well, the opposite. The, the environment in which your ideas are being formulated has changed. And yes. therefore, your ideas have changed. Have changed. Right. Yeah. And, and I think uh, there's a lot of value in understanding that what you think about a particular relationship or situation or moment in your life, 80% not true. 75%. You know what I mean? Like, the, it's, it's formulated by these factors that are around you, and changing that environment to any degree possible might yield some different I mean, thoughts I, or perceptions. I think, like, it's just a matter of like nothing being objective. Yeah. Not not okay. I don't want to say nothing right. being objective because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want to yeah. fall into cultural True. relativity, yeah, which yeah, I yeah. think I don't yeah. agree with. No. But like th- a lot of things are objective. Right. There's a degree of objectivity in in most things, especially in that internal life. Right. Regard. If know? if you're with a person and they're like cheating on you yeah, like that's fuck, yeah that is no, what it is you. like that's yeah. true mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. like in the moment you may explain it away or whatever but mm-hmm. that's the fact of the matter like yeah. that's what's happening to you that's not that's not relative mm-hmm. like it is what it is mm-hmm. um but like if you're in a relationship and like you feel loved and then you're out of the relationship and then you look back on it and you're like actually i don't think that th- that i was loved like that were you or weren't you mm-hmm. yeah like it's weird. It's it is weird. It's weird. It is. It's so weird. But I, I do believe that we innately hold intuition, and I think mm. the more in touch with our spiritual selves we are, the louder our intuition is. And I believe that our intuition is the most honest thing within mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Like any time that I've relied on my intuition, I've made the right choice. I've mm-hmm. made good choices. Mm-hmm. I've made choices that have put me that have led to a lot of growth for me. And it's never put me in a dangerous or unsafe situation. How, how much of that? I'm curious, because it's a journey I've not started, but been more kind of deliberate about recently. Uh, how much of that is in your body? What's your relationship? Oh, my God. With it's your, so your in my body. body. Yeah. It's so like, I feel it. Like, it's called a gut feeling mm-hmm, for a reason. Mm-hmm. Like, you feel it in your stomach. Like, 
I saw this thread that was like differentiating like intuition from anxiety. Um, and one That's, thing that stood yeah. out to me was that intuition is calm. Anxiety is, is, is like nervous. Like it's, it's chaotic. Um, and that's one thing that I do feel to be true. Like I, I was, I was asked to come on to a singing competition show, um, earlier in, like in the, at the beginning of the fall season. And I was so conflicted about it. Like, do I do it? Do I not do it? Do I do it? Not. Um, and it was like at the point of like, they want, they were ready to fly me out. Like it was like, I just had to sign a contract and that was it. Well, it's not that simple, right? So I was super conflicted about it, and, and I prayed a lot, and I went to bed. And the next morning I woke up, and I was just like, no, I'm not doing this. Calm. I was not second-guessing myself. I was not nervous about it. I was not scared. I just said, no, this, is, this contract, this situation is, is not right for me in this moment. And I, I said no, and I, I, I have not regretted that decision. We're back with... Uh... COVID negative Nina. <laughs> <laughs> the alliteration was too strong to pass it up. I feel like if I true, it's going to be like ASMR. Pro- you know, people might be into that. Hold on. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait. Yeah, really, really get into it. I'm, I apologize for whoever is adverse to this. <laughs> <laughs> I have the headphones on, so I'm interested. That was amazing. Wow. <laughs> Normally you have to pay for that, but no. that was, this was free. It was your free trial. <laughs> you have to get on a subscription service from now on. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, I'll share the link. Don't worry. Um, Thank you. We're back. Link in bio. Link in bio. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're back. We have sweets. We have pineapple and an assortment of cookies, uh, as well as Iranian tea. Iranian. Am I, why do I keep saying it wrong? Say no, no. Iranian. Do I, how do I keep fucking this Iran. up? Iran. <laughs> what did I say? Iranian. I hate myself. <laughs> I hate myself. All right. Well, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you, guys. And See ya. <laughs> how do I keep... What the fuck is wrong? It's so funny because when I correct people, they make it seem like I'm condescending. No. Like, no, I'm fair. like... So I'm not allowed to expect you... No, you're saying it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's. Okay. I have a whole language I have to pronounce correctly. I'm asking you to pronounce one Ooh. word correctly. I'm interested. You've been posting a lot of things in not English. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the wrong way to go about saying? No, that's okay. Okay, it's not English. You're right. Yes. What is? So basically, <laughs> this like Persian. So this Persian meme page, or like not even memes, but they post like just random. It's like a Persian shade room kind okay. of. I don't know. Um they posted a snippet of my music video and so like i literally woke up to like 400 new followers from iran like from iran residing in yeah (laughs) and so then i was like oh my god like i gotta like talk to my people you know but the thing is that i can't read or write in farsi oh it's farsi yeah okay it's my first language. Like, I'm completely fluent in spoken Farsi. Mm. But I cannot read or write. Mm. So, literally, I had over 100 DMs. And I would literally send screenshots to my parents. <laughs> and I'm like, what are they saying? Uh, cool. it's, it was so funny because, like, I would ask my dad. I'm like, what are these people saying? Yeah. And he's like, um, he's saying that your eyes <laughs> resemble the ocean and that uh, he's in love with you. And I'm like, all right. Uh, this is not I'm awkward. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, there were like, <laughs> screenshots to send to your parents. Weird. And I didn't yeah. even know what I was sending. So right, it's like right. you're it's like a shot in the dark. You're like, I don't know what this says, but like There you go. I'm praying it's not like terribly inappropriate. Yeah. So So are you working on the written thing? When my, when my parents were here, every morning my mom and I would do like Farsi lessons That's cool. at like the level of like a first grader. Yeah. <laughs> And so I like started learning, but uh-huh. she's not here anymore. So like right, I'm not right. getting my yeah. my lessons. I might recommence them virtually with her, but I would love to learn how to read and write. Like that'd be great. My but honestly at this point, like my spoken Spanish is better than my Farsi. Yeah, how many languages do you speak? I speak three completely fluently, okay. and I can I can speak a little bit of Portuguese and understand yeah. a bit. Um, but I I hope to learn more. Okay, for sure. It's it's depressing. That you speak Spanish better than I do. <laughs> it's, it's truly... I'm sure that's not true. A, a thousand percent true. Because by, by the I've time... I've never heard you speak Spanish. That's why. Because I... <laughs> that's, there's your proof. What do you mean? What do you mean you've never... Yeah. Um, that's... Uh, by the time I was born, uh, everyone in the house spoke English already. Mm. And so they had already... You know, it was a thing to learn English. Yeah. And they never pushed me too much. The only the only place that I had consistent exposure, it's why I can read it. I can, you know, carry on a full conversation English to Spanish, but uh was in church because it was all mm. Spanish. So that was like my main yeah. exposure. But uh Hispanic people are not very very kind when your accent sucks. At least in my My Persian family totally makes fun of me too yeah. but like it's like a, it's a it's so it's not in a mean way right like they just like jokingly no i like... was too sensitive i was too sensitive <laughs> i was I'm, i swear i was a little kid and it felt Aww. like i had anxiety about it because yeah. i i like was well spoken in the sense that it, like i can express myself well and so to feel like i can't well that's speak. what pushed me to learn spanish mm. like i was at 17 i moved to el salvador by myself and like I <laughs> Who are you? Well, yeah. That's... What? Why? What? <laughs> we look. We 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 went to. Well, I took Nina to get tested, so we had all the fun conversations. Obviously, not on this podcast. And every twenty minutes, you tell me you live somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm definitely a Sagittarius in that way, which is like I can't stay in one place. Uh-huh. Like I love popping around. Uh-huh. But I moved to El Salvador. So in the Baha'i faith, it's very common for youth to do a year of service, whether that's in their own communities and neighborhoods or, or elsewhere. Um, and within the year of service, you basically dedicate your full time to the advancement of the faith and like the development of communities in ways in which we're trained to do. Right. So it's not like they just plop you somewhere. They're like, all right, go, you know, like there's, there's training that, that happens beforehand. And so I wanted to do my year of service at the same time. There there was a Baha'i school in, in El Salvador, um, which is what drew, which one of the things that drew me there. Another thing that drew me there was that I had recently become really deeply interested in MS-13. <laughs> you know, it's so much funnier, again, given the off-air conversation. Uh, yeah. About, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but that doesn't scare me. They don't, they didn't scare me, really. I'll explain. Let me explain. Because yeah, this sounds please. like crazy. What? Yeah, like, right. if you, if you are, again, the type I'm of I'm scared pers- of, like, serial killers. I'm not scared of, like, gang members. 
Not that I'm not scared of gang members. No, like, I understand. You know what but I'm we're saying? We're talking like, about like organized. Okay. Like, Let me tell you, you know? this is the thing though. Okay. I had no association with anything or anyone. One when I was down there, like it's not like I like had friends or was dating people or anything that was any way connected to anything gang related. So that's one level layer of it. Secondly, I was teaching their kids in school, so it's like they didn't really have a problem with me. Right. Like literally, like you would have guys like. Literally, this one day that I was in the school, and, like, they had these huge blue um, metal doors to the uh-huh. school, like, massive. Like, you right. had to, like, pull the lever out, like, open it, pull the lever out to open the uh-huh. door, and it was heavy, uh-huh. and, like, whatever. And then they had this little, like, little peep thing where you could open up the metal part, and you could see kind of, like, who's outside. And so this one day, I was, like, in the school, and somebody was, like, ringing the doorbell, and the principal was, like, oh, can you go get it? And the school's, like, one hallway. Like, it was small. So I go... And I open up the thing and I, all I see is like someone's eyes and eyebrows, like just this part of their face. Just like imagine like kind of like a rounded like rectangle uh-huh. and it's covered in tattoos, like absolutely just like every inch, like there's teardrops and everything. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, uh, <laughs> and so then I like, I'm like, oh, like, un momento, like whatever. So then I like run back to the principal. I'm like, there's this guy, I don't know. And she's right. like, oh. That's Oscar's dad. Like, <laughs> uh, yes, Oscar's father. Oscar's I was like, I was yeah. like uh, okay. And so then I opened the door, and he was like really chill. He was just like coming to talk yeah, to course. to principal about his son, and yeah, they're normal people. Yeah, and so like it was it was fine. Like, honest to God, like first of all, I didn't put myself in stupid situations while I was there. Like, it wasn't like I was like I would take the the city like the public city bus every day from my home to the school and back. It was, I wasn't, like, pulling out, like, my iPhone uh-huh, and, like, uh-huh. wearing jewelry and, like, doing things that attract attention. And I'm pretty ethnically ambiguous. So, for that reason, I also didn't attract a whole lot of attention. So, I was okay. You know, like, I never felt – I didn't walk around alone at night. Like, I didn't – I was safe. And, like, I think because I grew up in a city that, that has a reputation for crime – and I was going to a, co- a country that had a reputation for crime. Like, I didn't go in completely blind. Um, I'm, I'm not an idiot. You know, I wasn't doing dumb shit. So <laughs> that was definitely helpful. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the people that, that were in some of these gangs were kind of in the gang more so for out of their own need rather than, like, being, like, bad people. You well, know? That's, that's the thing you learn, especially in, like, Latin America and, and South America. And, like, and MS-13 the- started in the U.S. Right. Like, let's, yeah. please. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, you you learn. Um, I was watching something recently about like the cocaine trade, and they were like showing the very ordinary families that like dry and prep the coca yeah, leaves for yeah. you know the cartel, and yeah. it's like at like at the lowest levels. I mean, even in many of the most violent levels, like those people aren't there because they like killing people. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like it's kind of like. There's a lot of things that exist within our world that create the circumstances for to breed things like right. that, you know? And a lot of those things begin structurally, they begin with, with rich people. Like they don't usually start with like poor people yeah. just deciding to do illegal things. Right. You know? But but yeah, so I, I learned Spanish completely while I was while I was living there, um, for the year that I was there. And it was just like I, I, I the same way that you said like you were so well spoken in English and like that was the thing with me. Like, I felt like an idiot in Spanish. I felt like I was dumb in Spanish. Yeah. But, like, in English, I was, like, smart. Yeah. And, because I couldn't communicate myself. And, and I felt like I couldn't advocate for myself. And, like, there were moments where I had to advocate for myself while I was there. 
And so, like, I literally made it, like, my life's mission to, like, learn Spanish. Um, and I always, I had always been familiar with, like, my ear has been familiar with it because, like, I'm gonna be real with you. Like, after Daddy Yankee blew up when I was, like, in the fifth grade, I was all over reggaeton. Like, I listened to Wisini Andel, I listened to him, like, I, Don Omar, like, all those guys. And so, I was, my ears were familiar to Spanish. It wasn't, and I took Spanish in high school, so it wasn't like I, like, had never heard it. So when I, and, and I had grown up with two languages. So that part of my brain was already like activated. And so then when I went down there, um, probably I got there in September by January, I was like pretty good. Now my Spanish is the best it's ever been because I've, I've really focused on developing it. Um, and I feel really grateful. Like I, I feel really grateful for like the people that were in my life from El Salvador. Um, I dated somebody while I was down there and like he spoke to me solely in Spanish and I spoke to him in English. And eventually I started speaking back in Spanish, you know, and, and if I got I that it was a it was a good relationship. Um but one thing that he gave me that I will always, you know, appreciate is is the gift of language. How how does um you're you're really blowing my mind right now. Like it's <laughs> insane. I'm curious. How does that that work because part of me on the snap is like well if you can't communicate how do you have a how do you date how yeah. do you have a relationship but like lots of whatsapp and google translate well that but <laughs> like there is something intimate about the effort of communication right like there's a barrier yes. and we both have to like really consciously it's, how do I break what I'm trying to say down? What do I really? You're you committing. Yeah. Like it's a commitment, right. you know, like you're like you're telling that person that you're worthy of me making this commitment to do this difficult thing in order for us to like connect on a deeper level. It's also um, it's it's the one thing that keeps like circling me back. And I keep like I keep putting working on my like accent, like my my. My Spanish to English is like whatever, you know, like I can read what, oh, this is what this says, or this is mm-hmm. what they're saying. My English to Spanish is like slower just because my accent's bad, and then I get self-conscious, and I'm like, oh, I don't know. Mm. Uh. Um, but the the thing that keeps circling back, circling me back to it is like the the expansion. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like unlocking a new part in the video game. It's like, yeah. oh, wow, here's all of these people who... It gives I, you access. Right. Yeah, yeah like like... You know, my best friend could be somewhere in Puerto Rico and only speaking English, but there's this language barrier that yeah. kind of, you know what I mean? When I went to Puerto Rico in February, um, we went to Vieques and we had a sit down interview with um, this woman who lost her daughter as a result, result of the inadequate health care on Vieques, um, on the island. It's an island on, on the uh-huh. shore of, of Puerto Rico. And I, I, I was a translator. Like, she would talk in Spanish, and I would translate it for everybody. And, like, that was just so cool to me. Like, I was able to talk to her and, like, kind of, like, help to liaison that meeting with her. And, like, afterwards, like, I, you know, sent her a text, and I, like, expressed my gratitude and, like, you know, gave her my prayers and well wishes, you know. And, and it was just, like, if it wasn't for me being able to speak Spanish, I wouldn't have... Maybe I would have been able to like help make the meeting happen, but it, it wouldn't have been the same. Right. When when somebody sees that you put in the effort to learn their language, mm-hmm. like that tells them something about you, you know? So yeah. It's it's also I mean the interaction is also just different. It because is because it's in things the get tongue. lost in translation. Right. Yeah. Hundred yeah, exactly. percent. And there's no 
it's not a, a it's not necessarily a natural way to communicate mm-hmm. through someone mm-hmm. you know like yeah. i speak i wait for this person to process what i said he translates. oh my god I when i was in to, cuba you know? like my dad made me translate conversations like all the time because he wanted to talk to like cubans about like life in cuba because my dad's like he read a lot about like che guevara and like fidel castro and stuff like throughout his life and so we went to cuba and he wanted to know you know what cubans thought and so literally like everywhere we went whether in a taxi like the guy selling pina coladas on the beach like my dad wanted to have like a like a profound conversation with everyone oh my my dad is like (laughs) it it to the point where i'm like embarrassed my dad is the same way like i cannot take and again super into history super into that and so I mean, I, I took him to, like, a powwow when I was at state because I'm like, he'd be into this. Yeah. And just, like, hours of him just, like, bugging people. I'm like, please, please, <laughs> please they're stop. trying to sell, like, they're trying to sell things. Please just let Leave them. them alone. Yeah. But, yeah. but it is, yeah. I, I, we're going to, we'll, we'll get back to this. I think thing. one yeah, thing I want to say, though, is I think the difference between you and I, and I think this is important to, to note, is that for me, there are zero expectations of my Spanish. Mm. No one expects me to be good at it. So like, I have no pressure on me. Like if I mess up, who cares? You know, it's my third language. Like whatever. I'm not going to say everything (laughs) perfectly. Flex. Enormous flex. But for you, it's different because it's like, you have to, you have to carry the weight of the expectation. Right. right? So there's more pressure on you. Like if I didn't speak Farsi, like I would feel so ashamed. Like in that shame would, would, would kind of make it hard for me to, to speak it. Well, people people always like laugh about my name on Instagram and uh, on barely Hispanic. Yeah, I think it's that's, great. That's what it like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, even like obviously, it doesn't bother me as much now because I like, hey, like this is who I am. Like I'm still this, etc. Um, but yeah, growing up, it was like <clears throat> I, I played hockey. That's not a Puerto Rican. <laughs> And I like cheeseburgers and American yeah. food. And, uh, you know, it, if I didn't like, have you ever had a Malta, a Malta India? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like I, I wasn't super Very big. Distinct. On, yeah. It's a, yeah. it's an acquired it taste. Is. That's like do this Persian drink. Okay. Yeah. I was not a fan. <clears throat> and like you say you're not a fan around your family, totally. you know, it's like, you're not even Puerto Rican. You're not, yeah. even, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so that's like, yeah, that's where the name. Would you go to Puerto Rico growing up? I went twice. Once I was like a baby baby. So Um, that doesn't count. You don't remember. Right. So one time that you remember. Yeah. Okay. That's Um, your whole life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's Uh, crazy to me and I'll tell you why. mm -hmm. Because I can't go to Iran. Like I don't even have the ability Mm. to go to Iran. One, because you need an Iranian passport. If your father's Iranian, you have to enter Iran with an Iranian passport. Don't have one really hard to get one because there's no iranian embassy um and secondly because i'm a baha'i so like i couldn't even go if i wanted to Mm -hmm. and like i think that's one of the reasons why i i cling to my culture and like to my like to to the things that make me feel closer to it because i i literally can't go the for for me it's 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 hard it's hard for a couple reasons my dad came when he was super young so, in a lot of ways, he was raised here. Here, you yeah. Know? Um, and then, you know, my mother didn't come until she was, like, 20, so she's always kind of, like, almost how you were describing your mom in mm. terms of, like, these fond memories mm-hmm. of, like, things grow. Like, yeah. my, I, if you go to a grocery store with my mother, 
half of the trip at the grocery store is complaining how like the fruit here doesn't taste like anything. <laughs> Yo, don't... I don't blame her. <laughs> no, I mean she's yeah, she's objectively yeah, right. Yeah. She's objectively right. Yeah, I know but, what you mean though. Yeah, yeah. You know, my mom this... says that about the fruit here too. <laughs> right. There's this fondness, you know. But for my dad, it's not really there because mm. he he left so. Wow, our parents young. are really like we it's, have. Their... I'm telling you, it's yeah. scary. It's weird. Yeah. Um, and so, uh. And because of that, like, my dad growing up here, my dad has really mixed feelings about Detroit. Like, I, I was always in this weird place, like, my, and I didn't understand it when I was younger until I got older, but I'll talk, I'll talk to my dad now, and he'll, he's like, I feel like I don't have, like, a home, you know, mm. or, like, or, or even more so a culture, mm. and obviously, politically and historically, kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you're the oldest colony, you can't vote for the president, you're yeah. still paying tax, you know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Everything that is discernibly Puerto Rican, like, what attachment do you have? You didn't grow up there. No. And most of that, like, the way that, like, American culture has spread there and that, like, you know, traditionally Puerto Rican things have just kind of, like, slowly faded. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, by the time I was growing up, like, there were more Puerto Ricans in New York than, like, on the island. You know, and it's, yeah. it's yeah. that the idea of... Puerto Rico and Puerto Rican identity identities. is yes. Oh my gosh, it's like so complex. It really is. Yeah. Um. And so, by yeah, you know, as as I got older, my parents didn't really go back much. Not by choice. They would love to go back, but work and money. Um. That's that's like the mission I'm on now. Is like, how do I go back? I want to go back once on my own with like friends and people I know to get that experience and then I want to take my family and I want to figure oh out God, yeah. how that can that be, would be so a beautiful. frequent thing yes you know? oh my god yes. um and it's it really cemented um so my my dad is because my mother my mother's family I think she has like a brother there still but like you know her that side of her family is pretty estranged and disconnected mm. like she's closer to her sisters that moved mm-hmm. here with her yeah. Uh, my dad is the youngest of 15. Wow. Yeah. So that's why we have like so much family spread out everywhere. Um, and I have, you know, uncles and people in Puerto Rico. Uh, but the main kind of thing is that that's where my, my grandma was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, on my mother's side, like, I don't know my grandparents. And on my father's side, I only knew my grandma. Mm-hmm. And I met, you know, we stayed with her when we went when I was younger. And I remember all of that very vividly. She visited a number of times, um, you know, to Detroit, because that's where the majority of our family is. Mm. Uh, And then she passed away the same year as Hurricane Maria. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, Not because of that. Before or after? Before. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, Thank you. Uh, And that was like... That was a weird moment because it was like, oh, when I go, it'll never be the same. Yeah. You know, like the the one thing, like the one familial connection, like the really strong one, like your grandparent, you know what I mean? She was like a pillar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that's not there. And also everything's destroyed. (laughs) You know what I mean? And and even even recently, like the the um, the telescope and stuff in Arecibo. Did you see that? The, no. There's a really huge, um, is it a telescope or it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's a telescope. There's a very <laughs> large thing that points at the at space <laughs> in Puerto Rico. And it was like one of 
if not the biggest in the world at the time. And it was a huge attraction. And it just like shattered like a month or two ago just from... Just just because? Just because it's not up it's not oh, maintained yeah. yeah you know wow um and so it's like every couple months and every year it's like oh there's another thing that won't be the same whenever you go back as an adult and it's yeah, yeah. i think like that's part of what stops my mom from going back is because of the revolution like all of her fond memories are before 1979 yeah <laughs> and like all of her like awful memories are after 1979 like my sister's dad literally falling and having a heart attack and dying after 1979 her parents house getting burnt down after 1979 like having to escape after 1979 so it's like i think part of it is like if she goes back like she has to kind of maybe feel like she has to part ways with some of those mm-hmm. associations or yeah. memories it's hard it's hard yeah and so i i think like that whole idea of like things being the way that you remember it. and that's why like i frequently visit my neighborhood in detroit and the house that's the house like when i think of my like childhood like it's that house like it was on the east side of the city on on cashew and east warren close to finney what used to be finney high school and like i i go there like once every year once every two years because i'm like i i want to see it evolve like i want to see what it looks like now like i don't know i just i I always want to be fresh in my head i never Mm want to show up and be like oh my god you know That's, um, I mean, in a lot of ways, that's my commitment to, like, Southwest and and that neighborhood, because I see specifically my father. Like, I see what removal from an early home and culture does, right? Mm. Like, this feeling of estrangement. Mm. And then I also see the resentment that builds, Mm, like, towards Detroit, you know? Like, he, you know, the minute he could move out of Detroit, he did. And I respect that that was... What year did he leave? uh, Well... They left the Taylor when I was in like tenth grade, eleventh grade. Uh, that was they had been there their whole life. Well, my dad was that around the housing market crash time because that's when we left. We left in two thousand and nine. I want to say like a little after. Okay. Yeah. Um, and he sees me now spending time in Detroit, working in Detroit. It's just like we work so hard to get to out get of there. you out of yeah, there. you know, and and I like. And I'm terrified of that. I'm terrified of feeling like that. Yeah. Because, and also my, my parents, again, like uh, on my mother's side, it's not by choice, like the estrangement from family. Mm-hmm. But on my father's side, it is to a degree like he's the youngest of 15. Like obviously there's just brother-sister tension yeah. sometimes. Like the his mother passing away, you know, complicates that mix and stuff. And it's it's something I'm I'm always conscious of. And that's, Partly where my, like, I need to be in Detroit. I need to spend time there. I need to, like, live there if yeah. I can. Like, yeah. I need to make that happen. And it's also where, like, I need to get to Puerto Rico sooner yeah. rather than later, yeah. you know? It's it's definitely, like, identity in relation to, like, geography is interesting. Especially, I think, for, like, people like you and me where I'm, I don't feel... Every person that I know... I've never been to Iran, like I said before. And a lot of the people who I know, young people who grew up in the States or, like, in Canada and went back to Iran said they did feel a sense of belonging there. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe I would feel a sense of belonging there. But I don't feel like I belong in Iran. But I also don't feel like I belong in Detroit, even though I was born and raised in Detroit. Because I think, like, the people who can take the most ownership of Detroit is the black community, right? right? Because, like, 
the history, the rich history of the city is in, is in connection to the black community. And like, I'm not black, you know? And so, and I don't have any lineage in Detroit. Like, I don't have any lineage in this country, period. Like, literally, I don't have a grandma whose house is going to go into my name when right. she passes. Like, yeah. I don't have that kind of stuff, yeah. you know? Like, it's just us, right? So it's like, where do I really belong? I don't necessarily feel like I belong in Detroit. I don't necessarily feel like I belong in Iran. And, and I think that's like the thing about displacement and the thing about like immigration, you know, migration. Like it's, it's this weird, you know, and I can't speak on anybody else's experience. I can only speak on my own and I can't assume what other people's experiences are. But like, this is one thing that that's been on my mind is I've always, I've always felt like an outsider because I've never lived in an Iranian American community, which let me also say I'm glad <laughs> because there's a lot of really ugly things in the culture that I'm really glad I didn't adopt. And I feel super, super, super grateful for having grown up in Detroit. Like so grateful. Um, but at the same time, I never had that sense of, of belonging, but I think it's become a, a, a strength of mine. Like I think because I've had such cross-cultural experiences it's molded who I am and it's allowed me to exist in a way that a lot of people can't exist you know so as I've grown older like I've I I think the pros definitely for me personally outweigh the cons but like I said I understand that everybody has their own experience again it's uncanny um (laughs) because uh like being puerto rican like it's not that detroit lacks a latino population it's that that population is primarily mexican right and so it's not even like people say like oh there's so many it's not that much really yeah uh and so growing up like there's no puerto rican influence no you know there there was one restaurant that i can think of you know yeah and so outside of church like church was and and that's like part of my complicated relationship with that because it's like culturally that's the only thing i had that was like we're puerto rican this is what we eat this is how we talk this is you know um and it's not until much later in my life via a mexican man from saginaw that i would get (laughs) connected with like the puerto rican population in chicago and philadelphia and like oh chicago's got puerto ricans on deck yeah and and (laughs) meet people and experience you know places and things that like my my parents don't even know exist you know um and it it was hard like it i don't want to say it was hard growing up necessarily it's not something that really weighed on me because i wasn't super conscious of it you know um but looking back i'm i'm similarly grateful because the the thing the topic that i always bring up as like the perfect kind of encapsulation of the whole experience is like the n-word and my aversion to saying it you know and like culturally growing up in Detroit, especially when you're, like, young and you're in high school, like, that conversation obviously is not as developed as it gets later on in life, you know? But you like, mean, like, because you're a kid? Right, yeah. Okay. Like, like in terms of, like, people's opinions about who can or can't, you know? And It was always very clear to me. Like, it was always very clear to me that, like, 
only black people are supposed to say because I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in a Latino community. Okay. I feel like in the Latino community, that's a whole, that conversation is, right. is its own beast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But for me, like in, I never, never said it. And, and I remember the moment that, that for me was like the moment where I was like, Oh my God, like I would never say that is in my, at my middle school, mm-hmm. we had a teacher I'll put her on blast. Her name was Mrs. Payne. <laughs> and she like confiscated a note between oh, two other students yeah. and like read it in front of the class uh-huh. and was like, what's up, my? And then she said it. And I literally wanted to like, tráigame la tierra. Like mm-hmm. I wanted to like, just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like go into the ground. Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like that. So I was like, if I feel like this, I can only imagine how everybody else feels in the classroom because my school is probably black. Mm-hmm. And after, in that moment, I was just like, oh, my God, no. Like, ugh, no. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> that was it for me. I was just like, this is not for me. Not everything is for everybody. Right. This is not for me. I, I never said it either. And when I tell people they don't believe me because I'm Hispanic. Yeah. And there's that, like, yeah. it gets really blurry. It gets Are really messy. The Hispanic student or the Latino uh, crew, Cultura de Razas Unidas or whatever, mm-hmm. the Latino, like, Mm-hmm. whatever like yeah, organization yeah. at msu yep. literally dismantled over the n-word that's like, insane it was because yeah. like some of the board was like you can't say that and some of the board was like yes we can mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. just like... oh no it's it's very <laughs> and 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 i wish it was i wish it was a more common conversation um for a lot of reasons just because i think it's very like there's a lot to unpack there and there's a lot of valuable information about how words are racialized about how black people specifically in america as a group are racialized and how other races yeah. are defined in relation to their True. relationship to blackness well, uh, or I think their difference their relationship to whiteness <clears throat> like black people are everybody's defined in terms of relationship to whiteness we're not defined in terms of our relationship to blackness i don't think well whiteness is the standard right no I, everything yeah. is is mm-hmm. in relation to that that's at the center i think i agree but I I guess I mean in the sense, okay, when people... Your proximity to blackness determines whether or not you can say it. Is that what you mean? To a degree, I think that's more so what I'm trying to get at. Okay. Like, when you, you know, if you're a Puerto Rican or a Mexican kid that grows up in Detroit... White passing, let's... Like, or white white Latinos, let's clarify. Yes, yes, also. Right. That's a whole other... Again, there's so much to unpack (laughs) in that conversation. Um, But, you know, I, I think about people i know that grew up saying it mm-hmm. and oh my god yeah if you didn't speak spanish and you were let's say not mexican right there's no cultural signifier in your community or your immediate surrounding outside of your house to tell you hey you're dominican mm-hmm. or like hey you're puerto rican mm-hmm. and you grew up surrounded by black people and that's the prevailing culture it's the mm-hmm. culture you associate the most with there's very little like and again those those conversations yeah. aren't as developed and as nuanced yeah. as they get later on in life there's nothing in your immediate surrounding that says that word does not also apply to you you know this is why it's hard for me like i was that person i grew up in a predominantly black city with no other middle eastern people around no other persians around aside from my parents and my sister and I never said it. Or I mm-hmm. never thought I could say it. Mm-hmm. I never wanted to say it. Mm-hmm. That's why it get, I get frustrated. Because I'm like, it's not fucking rocket science. Right. Like, I don't know. Well, I, I don't know. I, I, look, so this, this is the thing. <laughs> I agree. Again. But I, then I know white people in, in like, 
non-black people who are like, I grew up in the hood and blah, I had no... Okay, so? You're right. still well, not well, black. Okay, like, see, that <laughs> that's also what I was referring to earlier, is like, we associate blackness with a certain lived experience. Yeah. And if your lived experience is close enough to that, yeah. that line starts to blur a little bit. Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah. Uh, which it, it's not <laughs> correct, obviously, in yeah. the slightest. And and again, I'm also speaking as a white passing Latino yeah. who never said the word because yeah. growing up, again, I benefited in the sense that I was like, okay, I'm Puerto Rican. I don't really feel like that mm-hmm. because of, you know, the mm-hmm. things that we were just discussing. And then I was like, I know I'm not black. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I, like I, it's, there's, it's pretty easy to see. Right. Like it's, yep. I know I'm not black. Yep. It, there are a lot of cultural things that we share, but I know I'm not that. And I also know I'm not white. I'm not American. Mm-hmm. I know that. I, I can see. I always say Euro white because like. Okay. Fair. I, we're, I'm technically white. Like I have to mark right. white on the Politically, US census, yes. Which is like, uh, yeah. I could write a million think uh-huh. pieces on that. But yeah. So you're not. Yeah. Right. Euro white. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm neither of these three options yeah. that I have. And it made it easier for me to be like, then that word's not for me. Right. Because I'm not, I'm not that. Yes. You know? But I, 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 it's the grace that I give people, especially there's a, there's a line between like white passing Latinos who say it and are also anti-black. You know what I mean? Oh, I don't think there is. I don't think you should say it, period. I agree. I like, don't. I, I, there's no, to me, this is very black and white. Like if you are, if I know you and you are not black. And I know, I say if I know you, because there's some people who are black, but they don't always like look, look like mm-hmm. what people think, you know, because I had course. a friend who right. is literally her dad is black, her mom is white, and she's light skinned with blonde curly hair. Right. So like, I would never call her, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh-huh. that's just not, yeah, it's not my place. Course, course. But if I know you and I yeah. know who your parents, I know your parents mm-hmm. are like, whatever, from Pakistan or I don't know, and you're not black and I hear you say it, I'm going to call you out. Because you shouldn't be saying it. Right. I don't care like what you're, I don't care if you're anti-racist. I don't mm-hmm. care if you're an ally. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're, mm-hmm. you grew up in the hood. I don't care. Like, why are you saying that? I agree. Let the record reflect. <laughs> I don't think anyone that isn't black should say it. But the, the, I understand why some people think they can. And I'm drawing the distinction between people who. You do under, I don't, I, I, I don't understand. I, I don't under, I, I do not I, I, like <laughs> I don't there again I, I think it 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 comes back to what I was just saying if there was no signifier that this is not the commute like do you watch tv like do you are you exposed to media like what do you mean if you are exposed to media mm-hmm. if you have access to google like you should know that it's not acceptable for non-black people to say it. I don't, I don't think that conversation is as nuanced at, in certain environments or as prevalent. Because, like... Don't you see, like, celebrities, like, somebody gets caught saying it, the, the recording of... Blah, 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 now, blah, blah, now. And then it's, like, a big deal. Now. Okay, I, then stop saying it. <laughs> I agree. But again, I'm saying, like, sp- specifically in my experience growing up. Like yeah, as a okay, child. as a kid. Okay, okay. That, okay that's okay, what okay. I, but right. that, and, and there are people where that association is developed young. You should have the presence of mind as an adult to then realize, 
hey, this is wrong. This is not right, my thing. Right. right? 100% That's agree. my whole thing. Is like, if you're grown, like, No, yes. On. If you're an adult, yeah. use your brain and realize that, like, you lose or gain nothing by being able to say this word. Just stop. Just stop. It's okay. It's not your <laughs> worth. That's okay. But specifically, my experience, because that, that, that was when that understanding yeah. and kind of revelation happened to me was, like, as a child. And I would, it was, like, a thing. And it sounds stupid to say. But I would have black friends who'd be like, well, why don't you say it? Like, you, yeah, you know I've, I mean? I've heard of that. Yeah, heard it's, it's like, tell me that. Right. I've never had that experience, but I've heard people. Be, because again, as a child, especially when those yeah. conversations are not prevalent and they're not nuanced, they're like, what's the difference? Like, I, we live together. We, we listen to the same, you know what I mean? Like, like and it, and it goes yeah. both ways. Like, both, both the, you know. I have had, I know people who are not black who have told me that black people told them that they can say that yeah. in order. And I'm like, it's yes. not like a card that you can, like, of course not of course not but like i was looked at as weird because of my aversion to it you know what i mean because that conversation just wasn't present yeah so let me specify by saying i extend the understanding to like that scenario yeah you know because i like i experienced it you know yeah but when you're a kid i i i do understand it more if you're a child especially if you're a child like the the air the moment in my life where I heard it said the most by people who are not black was when I lived in Santa Ana, okay, in Southern California, in a community that was like overwhelmingly Mexican and overwhelmingly like migrant. So like people who whose parents literally came here when they were like in their thirties. So like don't really have an understanding of the uh-huh. political landscape uh-huh. and the racial landscape of the United States. A lot of them were undocumented and have had other things to worry about than like getting down the history mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying so like it wasn't taught at home but your the, parents weren't telling you that you can't say and, it. and those are the people that i extend a little bit more grace, grace to, to than the people who when know the kids when know. they're kids no of, yes. of course but and so yeah. i saw kids who like that all they listened to was like xx x and like um juice world like you know all those people culturally and literally we're just throwing around the n-word like it's nothing all the time and i'm like you can't say that they're like i'm not white right and that was their whole that's the extent of the conversation that was it that's that's the level of discourse that's taking (laughs) and like i tried there i had multiple conversations while i was there they're like well then why do they say it it's always that too right and then i have to like sit there and try to explain to them but usually my my explanations were not successful. <laughs> yeah, well, but but again, because that's it's it's a level of like it's a level of understanding of self awareness and empathy that I think, especially as a child, is like really hard to grasp. Yeah, especially in those circumstances. In those circumstances, and especially yeah. if you like, I I think the reason that you and I have similar experiences is because we were on the fringe. We were clearly not black. And we were having our own relationship with our, right. (laughs) And so it, it, it makes it clear like, Hey, that's not me. I also had my sister and my sister is 10 years older than me. And so when I was like six or seven, she's 16, 17, she goes to cast tech. Like she's, but she moved to Detroit when she was around 10. Um, because when my parents got married, my mom and my sister were in Canada and my dad was in Detroit. And so then he sponsored them and they came to Detroit. And so she was older than me. She had a bigger understanding of those things than I did. So I don't, as I told you, like off air, I have a terrible memory. So I don't remember the con- any conversations that we had, but I'd imagine she probably, or her or my dad, probably at some point like told me that. Like 
there might have been some point where I was like, what does this word mean? Like, mm-hmm. I probably heard it somewhere and like asked them and they probably explained it to me, you know, because it's pretty clear. But I even had family that came from Iran to Canada and they would say it. And like, we had to be like, ah, you can't say that. But they didn't know. They genuinely all they they just thought it's something that you say in rap mm-hmm. music that you use to refer to a friend. They had zero clue. Well, that, as to anything about it. That was that was always the difficulty in my family as well. Because again, those conversations aren't happening. And yeah. no one is like, hey, you should... It's not. It doesn't exist. It yeah. doesn't exist. And like... I'm sorry, Liz. She doesn't... My sister doesn't listen to this. I hope she... She will. <laughs> she will and she's going to be mad at me. But when she was younger, like when I was mm-hmm. young, like I know not... I know she would say it mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. And it wasn't until I got older and I was like, hey, man, like, and we had that yeah. conversation. Um, and like, again, I understand and extend the grace mm-hmm. to the context of like, you're a child. No one is telling you this. Mm-hmm. The, the people who would have an issue with this mm-hmm. that are your age are saying it's cool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, 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 I get it. I get it. But you're an adult. Yeah. And, and there's a level of self-reflection that needs to occur when that happens you know yeah for sure it's it's such an interesting like conversation it's one of my favorites to have (laughs) it really because there's because you there's a lot to learn with whoever you're talking to about it you you learn their specific experience their specific you know like where they lie with like non-black people and their relationship with it yeah yeah it is very interesting it, it's very interesting. I get, like, it just, ugh, I need to be more empathetic, but, but like. But, no, no. <laughs> like, it, you're, you're fair. You're being 100% fair. Yeah. Like, I'm, again, the, the reason that I said I like having that conversation is because, like, I like to speak to that specific yeah. experience. And it's like, I agree with you. Like, if you're an adult, you know what I mean? It's like, not like, people think that it's like, the the minority word no it's not right. the minority right. word not. you're arab mm-hmm. like you are like you know what i'm saying like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just because like your cousin or your uncle or somebody owns a liquor store on eight mile doesn't give you the right to say it i'm sorry to break it to you but, like- <laughs> but that that conversation though is interesting to me because of how culturally we view blackness and how we, we, we think it belongs to everybody, but guess what? It doesn't. Right. Be, be, <laughs> because, but there's like very interesting historical precedent to why we think that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one drop rules. Like it benefits America for there to be black people and for there, be, for there to be people that but are they like wanna in close it. proximity. They want to regulate it. They want to like, right. the same way that they want to like deplete resources mm-hmm. from other countries and mm-hmm. regulate their shit. Like they want to deplete. Black people have their culture and regulate it. And it goes goes both ways. Like, you had the one drop rule because you needed more black people because you wanted more free labor. And then you have, like, blood quantums and Native American communities because you want to reduce the number of people that have claim to the land. You know, like, it it goes... It's a thing. Truly crazy. It's a thing. This was the greatest tangent (laughs) in the history of the world. Let's talk about... uh, Here, I'll, I'll tie it in in a pretty way. You spent some time in Puerto Rico. I did. And you wrote a piece about reggaeton, which was very good. Thank you. And that was, there was, you, the piece was specifically about black influence of of reggaeton, reggaeton, right? Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I 
basically with my my graduate program like we had an opportunity to go on a, a trip and you get to go to they give you options of places and then you pick your first like whatever two or three and you get to go there and and it's like they partner with organizations and stuff in those countries and you get to go and you get to write a story like you get to you know do some sort of project out of it and so my first choice was puerto rico because i've always like you could go to like there was a tokyo trip there was like an argentina trip there was an england trip and there was like all-star weekend stuff in chicago and i don't care about sports and so (laughs) (laughs) i was like i want to go to puerto rico i didn't know what i wanted to do in puerto rico but i knew i wanted to go to puerto rico because I'm just really interested in, in Latin America. Um, because I, I, I think there's a lot of parallels between the experiences there and identity and, and with the Middle East as well, with like American imperialism and colonialism. So I decided to go there and I, I'm a musician, like I love music. And so I wanted to do something with music. And I had always thought about the fact that like reggaeton has a lot of black influence that's like not recognized in that like none of the faces you see that represent the genre except for like now it's like you have like sitch and like osuna and stuff but like they're not at the forefront um you know the the big ones are not afro latinos or are not like apparently black latinos dark skin latinos and so i was like well we should talk about that <laughs> and so i basically pitched the story to rolling stone and I had never published a clip before. Like, if you Googled my name, like my my government, you would see a few articles I did through my, like, MSU's, like, student paper. But, like, I never had a published clip. So I knew it was like, all right, it's rolling. So they're probably going to be like, uh, sorry, you know. <laughs> but I was like, maybe they'll take it. So I pitched it and they picked it up, which is crazy. And, like, shout out to Susie, who was my editor. She's incredible. She's at the LA Times now. Um, she picked up the, the piece and we worked together on it. And I literally DM'd like reggaetoneros. Like I was like DMing Don Chisina, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, hey. <laughs> um, and you know, people got back to me, which was crazy and like so amazing. And so I, I went down there and I sat down with, with, with Don Chisina. I sat down with, um, White Lion Records CEO who basically like discovered, daddy yankee and all these and like he worked with um what's his name uh, like all of them he found them he developed them and so i talked to him and he was very like you know transparent about the racism that exists within mm-hmm. the industry and i also talked to la sista which is an afro uh puerto rican reggaetonera and she was so incredible that i was like she's gonna be the center of the story like i I really wanted to like put her at, at 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 the center of all of this because like she faced so much hardship as a result of like the blatant racism that exists within the genre and it led her down a crazy road and she's still doing it and like mm-hmm. she's pressed on and and is, is still making music. I actually want to do like a separate piece just about her. Yeah, she's amazing. Um and so we we sat down and we talked to while I was down there but it was awesome. Like, it was, I'm so glad I got to do that piece. It was received really well. Like, I was really, like, I, was, I put a lot of care into the way that I wrote it mm-hmm. um, because I, I wanted to honor this culture and this genre that's not my own, but that I have a lot of respect for. And so I, I tried to make sure that came through in, in what I wrote. 
Um, but yeah, it was, it was a really amazing experience. And like all the people that I talked to, like I gained so much insight from, and like, I really enjoyed talking to them. It was, yeah, it was great. I I can see where the journalism comes in in all the (laughs) things that we've been talking about being inquisitive, like questioning, right. This kind of like cultural sensitivity and like empathy that you kind of bring to these things. Where does music, where, <laughs> where, where did it come from? Well, like, are either of your parents yeah, musically inclined so or? Music, my, my dad plays the Persian drums and uh, he plays a little bit of santur, which is another string instrument, Persian instrument. Uh, my mom sings. She has a beautiful voice. And I grew up with that around me. I grew up with music around me. Um. And I was always, like, a little performer. Like, my family would always, like, ever since I was, like, four, would, like, throw me in front of the family. And I would, like, <laughs> literally do, like, dance routines to, like, Britney Spears. So it's, like, I've always been a performer. I've always been an entertainer. Like, I've known how to captivate people. And I always, like, I, I started playing the piano. Like, the first time I sat at a piano, I was, like, maybe two or three years old. Um, and so those were all, you know, the musical influences in my life from my childhood and then as I got older like I was in choir I did musical theater like any opportunity to talent shows like anywhere I could sing like I had mm-hmm. an opportunity to sing I would do it I wasn't very good but I loved doing it and so I would do it but it it was never I was never taught that this is a career choice especially coming from an immigrant background yeah that sounds about right especially coming from a Persian immigrant background because not only do they expect you to like get a conventional job but like you have three options doctor lawyer engineer you know but you guys have such a rich art right history. yeah yeah so i don't know what these people's problem is but <laughs> <laughs> my parents weren't that bad in that regard okay. but they definitely never stressed to me that like you can achieve your dreams and mm, blah 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 like, yeah. i never got yeah. that so i i always like put it on the back burner like i never really pursued it and like my my dad's cousin like i came to learn when i got older that like my dad's cousin was like a famous singer in iran like she was like legit you can like you know google her and she's there and so i knew now i'm like oh i have this like this lineage you know this history of of music in my family and like iran and and persia is just such a poetic place and like we have some of the most renowned poets that come from our country um and so then and you know, I've, I've, I would write music in college even, like, but I never really did anything with it. And it was always in the back of my mind. And so then when I moved to Southern California, um, I, I wrote, I had this training because I was going to do some like grassroots community work. And that was when I was living in Santa Ana. Um, and during our breaks, I would, uh, it's like, uh, place Nina lived number three hundred and forty-three. <laughs> no one's keeping count. Uh, so when I was, yes. I, we did this training, and like in between, like the training, there would be like a few minutes, you know, breaks. And for every break, I would go and I would sit at this piano that was like behind these curtains, like in this like place, like kind of in the back, because it was the Baha'i Center in San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I would like. I would, I would play the piano, and, and I met this girl while I was there, and she told me the story about, like, this breakup she went through and how, like, the breakup brought her closer to God, and, like, it was really hard, but, like, this is what she got from it. And so I started to write a song about, about that. And um, 
then I left. And then when I got to Santa Ana, where I was going to be living, a friend told me that, like, her friend, like, knows that I can sing and, like, has been asking her to, like, get me to come and, like, sing on some song. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, <laughs> like, I was not down. And then, like, she was like, all right, I'll let him know. And then, like, a few weeks later, she came back and she was like, oh, he, like, asked me again to, like, ask you. And I was like, all right, fine. So, like, when I went to, to do it. And then after I did it, he was like, oh, my God, you're so good. Like, do you have any original music? And I was like, well, I wrote this one song, like, with this training. And it was Chelsea's song. And that was the first song that I put out into the world. And after that, like, all these things started happening that literally felt like divine confirmation. Like, you know, first of all, like, I got really good reception for the song. You know, I, I started to get hit up by, like, some really legit, producers and, and people in the music industry as a result of that and then I I wanted to start making music like I wanted to get logic and like do all these things but my laptop had broke and so literally like in a week with this my sister's friend who like had her own like marketing company was like hey can you do some work for me and I was like yeah but I don't have a laptop she's like oh I have a macbook just sitting in my apartment I can ship it to, ship it to you so she literally shipped me her MacBook. That's so then I had insane. a computer. And then I was like, all right, well, I need Logic and right. I don't have it. I can't afford to get Logic right now. Like yeah. I was literally like volunteering. Right. And so then my friend was like, oh, I have a Logic crack. Sent it to me. Now uh-huh. I had Logic. And then I was like, well, now I need a mic. I don't have a mic. My friend had a mic just sitting For at the For the FBI house. agent listening, need to legally purchase Logic. <laughs> I just want to crack is what the kids say now. Yes, that means purchase buying the license. Yes, yes correct. Um. And so then literally, then I was like, I need a piano. And then my friend was like, oh, I have a piano and I don't know. I need somewhere to store my upright piano. And I was like, you can store it in my bedroom. And like, I, then I, like literally everything just fell into yeah. my lap. And I was yeah, like, all right, kind well, of absurd. it's crazy. Like to this day, like it boggles my mind how that all happened. And then I just was like, all right, this is what we're doing. And this is, this is pretty recent. <laughs> this is 2017. Yeah, right. This is three years yeah. ago. This is, yeah. this is a new endeavor. Yes. It's a new endeavor. And it's been such a crazy crazy journey crazy 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 like music in my like the role of music in my life has been just i can't i still don't know why i still don't i still don't fully understand my relationship with music it's ever evolving um and throwing myself into it the way that i have the last few years like has definitely opened me up to parts of myself that I didn't know exist in good ways and in bad ways for sure. What's, what's the, what's the hope like both? Cause, cause you have the thing that your parents see as a career option, which mm-hmm. is journalism. Right. And you're very good at it. Thank you. you know what I mean? Like the stuff you've put out. It's great. Yeah. Thank you. And then you have this like, Hey, I love this thing, <laughs> you know? And and there is a fair bit of overlap, which is also right. lovely. Hundred percent. Right? Yeah. You, you know, you you get to write about music, you get to make music, and it's both telling a story. A right. song is a story, and art mm-hmm. is a story. Is is the is the hope a meshing of the two? Like what you know, you know? What do we want? What do we want to do? You know, that's the big question, and that's what I've been asking myself. Um, what which direction I think is like. That's really just been my struggle in the last, because I, I went through like a period of like, just not, not good, not mm-hmm. good period. Yeah, we all have those. Um, and it, I just, it's hard for me to, to figure out, like right now I feel like, throughout my life I feel like the universe has like given me like all these signs of like what I'm supposed to do. And like, it's kind of just like 
I felt like I was in the in a river mm-hmm. and I was in like in a little raft and the river would just take me where I was supposed to go. And like now I'm at a point where it's like it's still water. So I have to mm. paddle yeah. in a direction. Yeah. And it's like That's hard. Which direction do I go in? <laughs> so that's been my that's been the cha- the challenge as of late is just trying to to figure that out and like they're both things that I really love. And I'm just I just pray for God to to make it clear to me which direction is is the right one for me. Yeah. How do you feel, Nina? <laughs> in terms of what? How do you feel? In life? Right now. I feel I feel calm. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad. I feel good. Feel good Do you about feel this. good too? Yeah. yeah. Good. I feel good. I feel good. Are, you know, what, what, uh, do you have anything you need to plug? Where can the people find you? What, so, what are you, what are you doing? I think my link tree is probably oh, where you can yes. find all of my interesting uh-huh. tidbits. Um, Instagram, Twitter. I'm definitely more reckless on Twitter. So if you're into that, follow me on Twitter. <laughs> But yeah, I think the socials, the socials will take you to all the things of substance. Beautiful. Yeah. This is, uh, this was good. This, this is li- really good. I mean. We talked about literally uh, everything. The, yeah, we talked about everything. The big takeaway is it's Iran. Did yeah. I say it right that time? You did. It's Iran. <laughs> the other takeaway, don't say the N word if you're not black. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, uh along with, with a lot of other stuff. You, f- you feel good? I feel good. I feel good too. Yeah. Yeah. Any what any final words? Any any final words? Yeah. The tea was great, by the way. Did you like the tea? Yeah, the tea was great. I mean, you didn't finish it. So. Oh, I'm going to. I believe it's not hot anymore. Don't judge me. <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm judging the tea. It's cold. No, I don't think there's really much else that I have to say. I just, you know, I am a work in progress. And I recognize that everybody else is too. And I just hope that in this new year, we can all kind of give each other space to grow. That was beautiful. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me for sure.